As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and our latest batch of listener questions. Today, we're discussing soccer's greatest siblings, the increasing quality of MLS, and we'll sign some Americans to Wrexham. You're welcome, Wrexham. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who I'm not actually on speaking terms with right now because he was rude about our Lord and Saviour, Noel Gallagher, on our (laughs) Slack chat. Taylor Rockwell, explain yourself. Uh, I'm never entirely sure which brother it is, uh, though he was surprisingly coherent and good-natured, which I guess says it's one and not the other. Is that how it works, Ryan? Is one more pleasant than the other, or are both the Gallagher brothers equally prickly in different moments? Only one of them would be permitted on live television, I would suggest, Taylor, and it was the one ah. we got on CBS uh, for about 15 minutes in the uh, build-up to the Champions League coverage on Tuesday at Manchester City. Delightful to have you. I'm going to tilt my camera down just a little bit so uh, you can see the T-shirt I'm wearing, Taylor. Which is ah. my Be Here Now 1997 Oasis tribute to Mr. You, Gallagher, who I love. Do you want me to go much. put on my Kasabian shirt just to annoy you? I mean, that's fine. You can you do you. I'm not going to criticize your <laughs> I do not school. own a Kasabian shirt. I just know that for some reason that seems to be the band that if you say they're better than Oasis, Oasis fans lose their minds. Yeah. And so I say it whenever I can because it's fun to troll Ryan Bailey this early in the morning. I hope you don't have a Kasabian shirt because their singer was cancelled. Look it up and be depressed, Taylor. Let's uh, move on, though. Join us. (laughs) A man who is looking forward to discussing how much better MLS 3.0 is than MLS 1.0 and 2.0. Joe Lowry, are we on 3.0 or is this like 2.1? Is it like an Apple software release? It's like 13.2 at this point. Um, Yeah, we're we're on Ventura, actually, Ryan, is where we are. Um, Oh, nice. I think, thankfully, actually, we're in the era of MLS where we've stopped talking about this. Like, we've stopped going, we need to have a number for every single time that we move from one thing to the next. I, I don't think I've heard anyone discussing this era of MLS with any numbers. It's mostly just been maybe like the Apple era, which I like better than trying to remember what number we're on between one and four. The Apple era. Oh, we'll be remembered in the history books, Joe, as the greatest era. Thought you'd like Agreed? that. Agreed? Thought you'd like that. Yeah. 
Very good. What what are the aren't the Windows updates notorious for just like jumping around and being different things at different times? And sometimes it's a number and sometimes it's a letter. Like I feel like we could do that with MLS and just ma- make it up as we go, and then it will all make sense because it will make sense. <laughs> I, I the... don't know, Taylor, because we're not a Windows family. We're not a Twizzlers family here. Thank you very much. We did we did that, get that comment at the live show when all four of us had I think iPhones and MacBooks out on the table. Like, are you guys <laughs> sponsored by Mac? And the answer is no. But we wish we were. Indeed, it would be a lot cheaper that way. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> uh, before we get to listen to questions, uh, happy Ted Lasso Day to all, all who celebrate. It is, as we record, it is uh, the Ides of March. Uh, Julius Caesar there for you, Joe. You're welcome. Um, is that, te- wait, did it release Thanks. today? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The first episode of the new series is out. On Wednesday, as we record, oh, Taylor's on the Ides fan. of March. That's on I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit nervous. No, no. I just. I don't know what to make of this. I. I know it's. I think planned to be the final season, right? And in the promo, I see Nate smiling, and it makes me mad every single time. Mm. Uh, so I'm a little bit nervous what dropping it on the Ides of March could. Uh, could represent. Beware the Ides of March. Oh, we get. We're so literary on this podcast. I love it. Um, Ted Lasso range of uh, apparel. This is a Graham area, really. But Joe, would you be interested in the Ted Lasso Nike range, which you can get on the Nike web store right now? $105 for the actual AFC Richmond shirt. Mm. Unfortunately, no authentic version for $160 with some slightly (sighs) different trim, which I'm really annoyed about. Well, that's the one I would buy, of course. Graham's yeah. t- if Graham's taught me anything, it's that you buy the authentic kit. You don't buy the the one that's been dumbed down, even if you have to pay $600 to get it shipped across the Atlantic. I am I'm furious to the point where, you know what? <laughs> I'm just not going to buy any of it. That's that's my response. Boom. That's a, that's a good um, place to land, I would yeah, say. But I, I, I do kind of love that it exists. What do you think, Taylor? Merchandise for a made-up uh, team from a TV show, yes or no? Oh, I'm I'm all in. I think that should absolutely exist for all of the, the major sporting movies. I would buy some Miami Sharks gear from any given Sunday if that existed. Uh, they had some solid uniform, solid uniforms, if not solid humans, on that team. So yeah, I think I think uh, fictional merch. And I also did go as uh, I think I went as Roy Kent. My wife went as Keeley, and my daughter went as Ted Lasso for Halloween one year. So Brilliant. it would make that easier. I would have to make my own jersey. That is excellent. If I could get one fictional team's jersey, Taylor, it would be the Milwaukee Beers from Basketball, of course. Correct. That is the correct answer. Yes. Well done. Answer. Well done, okay. sir. Well done, Nike, sir. come on, get with the, get with the program here uh, <laughs> on this 30-year-old movie that we're requesting of course. Uh, merch from. Let's get to our list of questions. And thank you very much for those who've submitted them. Totalsoccershow.com slash questions if you'd like to do so. And by the way, click plug for our Patreon, patreon.com slash totalsoccershow, where we are placing bonus episodes, videos, insights into how we record this thing much much more do join us there it's very fun there's a discord as well which is a super fun time indeed listen to questions though zachary bates has been in touch who would you peg as the best soccer siblings in terms of talent name recognition and trophies are there any that stand out as being more or less equals rather than one very successful and one far less so a recency bias says zachary says luca and tio hernandez but my shout is jerome and kevin prince boateng looking forward to your answers says zachary i am gonna start the bidding taylor Hmm. at probably the two most famous brothers in english soccer history the charltons jack and bobby Mm -hmm. Who you could a bit to play different positions. Jack was a defender. Bobby was very much a forward. But they both won the World Cup in the same team in 1966, which I would say arguably puts them on equal footing in that respect. Bobby Charlton, obviously one of the greatest forwards of all time, Manchester United legend. Um, I think that's probably undisputed. Mm. Uh, Jack, uh, who played and he's his entire knighted, so yeah, 
<laughs> Jack played his entire career at Leeds, which is quite cool, over 600 games there. He was Ireland's, Republic of Ireland's manager as well to great success too. Uh, so, Taylor, that's where I start the bidding. And I think that's a very good place to start it. I, I had them on the list as well. Ryan, you, uh, I'm guessing, know more about them than I. Would you say they were sort of equals in that way? I'd say Bobby being a sir. I don't think Jack got that title. And Bobby obviously winning, what, Ballon d'Or, World Cup, and uh, the European Cup or the Champions League is, is a pretty big feat. But that might just mean that he is extra special and then Jack is just pretty special. This is where the stress test on Zachary's more or less equal mm-hmm. phrase comes in. Yeah. Because, uh, yes, they both won the World Cup together, but Bobby Charlton is more revered because, you know, he was a goal scorer and Jack Charlton wasn't. So I think there's something in that as well. Oh, and but- he played for a good club as opposed to uh, a, a dirty evil club. Sure, 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 sure. Uh, <laughs> they were called Dirty Leeds, weren't they? It's not me just making that up. Come on. Yeah, okay. All right. All you right. did toss, there's, there's you did toss evil in there as well, just to be, just yeah. to be clear. There may have been some editorial, I right. think. Fair enough. Leeds, I mean, Leeds <laughs> had, their, had their time as well. Maybe not yes. as, at the highs of Manchester United. Sure, I'll give you that. But yeah, um, as, for the, as for the knighthood, I wonder if Jack going to manage the Republic of Ireland affected things there, Taylor. He has an OBE, uh, or and then I think... Bobby is a CBE. I forget how these things work and what means what. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that's probably a little bit of the difference. And then obviously Bobby winning a couple other things probably puts him into that vaulted category. Was Bobby also the captain of England in 66? I think that would be Bobby Moore. Ah, yes, Bobby. of course. Yeah. Also a sir. So there we go. Um, but anyway, I think the Charltons are a great answer. What we have learned, though, in the course of doing this show is that historical answers never really get the traction. When we do fantasy drafts and we pick teams from the 50s and the 60s, there's not as much enthusiasm for those nominations. So <laughs> I had them as my, uh, my, my number two, maybe my number one. Uh, uh, some other candidates in there, Gary and Phil Neville would be the other Engli- English mm. pair. Um, and for those who don't know... My favorite fact about the two of them remains uh, that they were both represented by their father. Their father was their agent because they didn't believe in having agents. Joe, do you know their father's name? Nev Nev. Neville Neville. Yeah, that's right. Neville Neville. That's the best name in the game. Uh, a couple other nominations. The IU brothers. Uh, we've got uh, Yaya and Kolo Torre. Yeah. Uh, they led to the song, the Yaya. Yaya. Yaya, Yaya. Uh, it's the best song. My, my daughter <laughs> sings that song much as it pains me. Uh, so I think for that and for obviously footballing reasons, also I think both of them have lots of success. Yaya maybe a little bit more, but I think they're still in that more or less the same category. I would put the Mewis sisters in there, Sam and Christy. Uh, Sam has had more success winning two World Cups. Christy, I think, has won a She Believes and finished third at the Olympics, but both of them representing a very good U.S. women's national team probably deserve a mention. So too do Brian and Michael Laudrup. Uh, Those are my short list because my answer is the Boateng brothers. I think that's an excellent shout. Maybe the Laudrups would be the obvious answer, and if Graham were here, that might be the way he went. But just looking at the Boateng brothers, I think they're fascinating because they had such different careers, but there are parallels within them. Uh, They play for different national teams. Uh, Jerome obviously playing for Germany, winning the World Cup. Kevin Prince Boateng playing for Ghana. Goes to two World Cups. They play each other in both of those World Cups, which is kind of crazy. But Kevin Prince Boateng, 14 different clubs in total. Uh, Milan twice, Hertha twice. That's where he is currently. I did not 
not know that. I didn't know both of them were still playing. They both are. Uh, <laughs> and then with Jerome, he wins in a decade uh, in the Bundesliga uh, with Bayern, wins plenty of titles, wins the Champions League, uh, 76 caps for a very good German national team. So I think sort of the way their careers went, that they both ended up playing for national teams, different national teams at that, that they both went to World Cups, they both won some silverware, Jerome probably a little bit more, but Kevin Kevin Prince, because he's the goal scorer, still gets headlines, still gets a lot of attention, and yeah. was a fairly beloved player uh, for Ghana right up until he was kicked out of the team uh, pretty unceremoniously. So uh, they would be, I think it's them, I think it's the Charltons, and I think it's the Loudrips are my yeah. kind of top three. That is a very good top three, and I think the Loud Drops is a great shout. They are off my radar, but I think Graham might agree with the Rangers connection there as well. I'll give you one more that could enter the top three, and it has a Rangers connection as well. The De Boers. Twins. Yep. Yeah. So Frank and Ronald De Boer, obviously Frank being a defender and Ronald being a midfielder. Um, Joe, France 98, Ronald De Boer played the assist for the world's greatest goal that's ever been scored by Dennis Bergkamp. So hey. that, that raises the bar for me. It uh, it, they're absolutely on my list. Frank and Ronald are are. I I don't really have them ranked, but they're in the three sets that really haven't gotten much discussion yet. So the De Boer brothers, Frank playing for Ajax and Barcelona and the Netherlands, and of course managing Atlanta United, which is what everybody really cares about. Ronald De Boer mostly <laughs> Ajax and and then in the Dutch national team. I think they're they're on this list. I don't know if they're at the top. I've got the Hernandezes as well. I, I think this is a really strong choice, and recency bias mm-hmm. is doing a lot of work here, especially for me relative to you guys. But Lucas Hernandez at Atleti and then at Bayern, won a World Cup with France in 2018. Teo Hernandez at Milan and then you know goes to the World Cup with France as well in, in 2022. Like two, two players that are probably both in what? Like the top five at their respective positions in the world? Maybe that's a little bit generous to Teo, but I mean... Like these, these players are elite right now. They're playing for some of the biggest clubs in the world, clubs that are in the last 16 of the Champions League. Like, I, I think if we just go by that criteria, that does kind of cut out a number of, of folks that we've mentioned already. So I, I would say they are close to the top of this list. And then the other one, I know there's, there's more than just these two brothers, but Eden Hazard yeah. and Thorgan Hazard is the last one. I mean, the pedigree is, is really impressive for these two as well. For Eden, Chelsea, Real Madrid, and Belgium. Uh, Real Madrid didn't go so well, but you know you get the idea. And Thorgan Hazard at Gladbach, and then uh, Dortmund, and uh, and then and in Belgium as well. So I think they have to be pretty high up on this list as well. I also had the Torres, just a, a lot more strong soccer siblings than the Muses. Taylor, that might be my favorite shout of all. It, it's uh, yeah, it's just a really good answer from you. They weren't on my list, but they should have been. Yeah, I mean they're pretty great. I also enjoy their just their social media uh, like roles as well. Their sibling rivalry. Uh, they're pretty good for the national team, I would say. The the Hazard question for me, Joe. Like I, I think like Aiden Hazard reached reached such heights and was so good. Torgan Hazard has been very good, but I feel like has always been a a like pretty good player. Like not necessarily like a guaranteed he's going to start every single game sure. elite player. But then I think over the course of their career. Like he has been, Torgan, been more steady than yeah, Aiden Hazard has agreed. been. He kind of had the big peak and the big valley. So in that way, do you feel like they balance out a little bit because of that? I think so. And, and I think that kind of plays into Zachary's question. Like Thorgan has had a bit more longevity, or at least he's still, I would say, a more capable soccer player now than Eden Hazard is. I mean, there's going to be ebbs and flows with all these guys. And I don't think you're ever going to get a pair of brothers that is like truly equal. In some ways, that's that's kind of why I think the Hernandezes might be the best answer to this question. Mm-hmm. Because they're both sort of in their primes right now, not the same age, but they're both playing for Champions League clubs. They're both on the national team with France, and they just seem to be both close to the top of their ability. So 
a lot, like way more mm-hmm. good answers yeah. to this question than I thought there would be. Like the statistical odds of getting two elite professional soccer players as a pair of siblings is so low. It, all this is absurd, and credit to all these folks for going out there and doing their thing. Yeah, agreed. It's also great that we had Luca. I mean, not great. Luca gets injured uh, in the World Cup, and then they're basically, who should we replace him with? His brother? Why not his brother? Like, like if ever you need an example that they are, like, I guess, interchangeable in some ways, you can throw that one in there. So I think that's a great one, too, Joe. Yeah. Just makes it easy for the commentators, if anything, I'd say. I would say so. Wasn't there a fourth Hazard brother that was going to be the next big thing? Didn't they all say, like, he's the actual, like, he's the best one of the four? I don't know what happened to him. I'm sure he's still around. Well, he wasn't. This is true. <laughs> I think that's how that panned out, basically. <laughs> Thank you for the for the TLDR on that one, Ryan. It I must appreciate be rough. it. That's a good point, though, Taylor. When you have these famous um, mm-hmm. soccer siblings, it must be rough to be the third brother or the third sister. Like, yeah. th- there's a third Gallagher brother, Paul Gallagher, who wasn't in Oasis. Must be rough for him, Taylor, right in those the coattails. He's just the one who like does spreadsheets and talks to them both in a, in a civil way, I'm guessing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's an accountant. Yeah. Who's the Manning brother that Cooper. didn't win a Super yeah. Bowl? Cooper. Cooper Manning never went to the NFL, and then you got Eli and Peyton. <laughs> Eli, Peyton, and then I'm Cooper. Like it's just yeah, Cooper's not a, a Super Bowl name. I got to say. There we go. All right, Zachary. Thank you very much. Sorry to our many Cooper listeners out there. I mean, yeah, that's that's rough. Someone's gonna, some nerd is gonna. No, no disrespect to the nerds, but some nerd is gonna know um, a Super Bowl player who has that name. Surely. Of course, of course. I also do sort of picture Cooper Manning listening to this and just slowly being sad. So I apologize, Cooper. I'm sure you're listening. We love you very much. I also think, Taylor, just to make you feel worse, I think it was like a career-ending injury in high school and he was a very good player. Um, I don't know that for sure, but, um, you know, you win some, you lose some, I guess. You wonder what Archie said to that? Eli would have played through that. That's what Archie said to that. (laughs) On that cheery note, let's take a quick break. Thank you, Zachary, for that question. Plenty more when we come back shortly. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. 
Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our listener questions. Nick Tuell has been in touch. Why does VAR work better or differently in various leagues around the world? For example, why is it that PL fans, Premier League fans, seem mostly negative towards it, but MLS fans will chant in the crowd for the referee to go towards the monitor and take a look-see? Thank you very much, says Nick. Joe, it's certainly true that VAR is used in different ways in different leagues. It's been developed over the seasons in different leagues as well. There's semi-automation these days. And certainly in the Premier League, there's been a change in how the referees go to the monitor. So you could argue it's used better in different leagues. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think the the basic answer to Nick's question of why does VAR work better or differently in different leagues is because leagues can decide to do what they want, right? They have some autonomy over how they want to implement these different refereeing processes. So I looked at MLS versus the Premier League because those are the leagues that, that Nick calls out here. Also, I found this handy article written by someone whose name's not rhyme with Schmein Schmaley uh, for charlottefc.com. And he walked through oh. all this in a very nice and clean way. So I, I don't know if he's any relation to you, Ryan, but I'll, I'll run through some of the things that he said. Well, uh, he sounds very handsome, but I don't know. Uh, I, yeah, hard to say. Hard to say. Um, so in MLS, the VAR will communicate with the on-field referee whenever a play may merit review. So that, that ranges and encompasses clear and obvious errors, which are you know, match-changing situations, goals, penalty decisions, direct red cards, mistaken identity, all that kinds of stuff. But in MLS... They do not use VAR to draw the offside lines. They don't have up on the screen that one pixel thick line that British fans got all up in a tizzy about, right? So they don't they don't deal with a lot of the narrow offside decisions in the same way. And for me, that distinction with the Premier League using using what I believe is called Hawkeye technology to draw those lines on the field of various thicknesses, that that has been a point of contention for fans as they've watched these games. The interesting thing about this, which I really didn't know and hadn't really realized was a change at the World Cup, is the semi-automation that you mentioned, Ryan. I, I would imagine that for as different as things can be in different places right now, you know, in, in most of the biggest leagues in the world, we're going to start to see a shift towards semi-automation, which is they, they mount a bunch of cameras on the ceiling of the of the stadium, which most big clubs now have anyway for, for data stuff. I don't know if they're the same cameras or not. But they're going to mount a bunch of cameras at the top, and the idea is you track all the players, you track the ball, and you have a process that goes and basically tells you it draws the vertical line that shaves off half of their toenail and says this player is offside or it's not. The VAR then tells the official. The official makes the final call in the middle of the field. But it's a much more streamlined process that doesn't have to do with a lot of the – I guess there's some similarities in the subjectiveness of the lines, but at least it will speed the process along of going through all of that offside process. So anyway, to go all the way back to Nick's question, leagues do do it differently. For me, the biggest difference in how things have been implemented and what people get angry about is almost exclusively related to the offside stuff, at least after the early, early days of VAR were out of the way. The only other one I would add to that, I agree that the consternation seems to be heavily focused on those lines, especially early on. The other one, uh, I believe UEFA and the Premier League have different standards when it comes to what is and isn't a handball and how that gets reviewed. I think with the Premier League, there is more room for interpretation than there is in UEFA competitions. And I do think anytime you have room for interpretation, that is good because it gives leeway, it opens things up. But at the same time, 
I think if a thing is supposed to be standardized and remove a lot of the subjectivity, then it gets a little bit more confusing. And I think there's more frustration. And with that frustration in mind, I also think part of this to Nick's question is cultural. I think in the United States, we're more accustomed to replay. We have it in, in, in more sports and we had challenge flags much earlier uh, in the NFL where you can challenge a decision, you throw that red, the red flag, and then they have to take a look. And there's just been more instant replay video review across American sports. And so I think Americans are more used to it. They're more accepting of it. And in some ways, I think they will then embrace it a little bit more. I think Americans also, American sports, tend to embrace change slightly more readily uh, because it's what's had to happen to keep sports modern, to keep sports more appealing. You add the three-point line. You add different features that make the game just sort more marketable. And I think when you have some of that impermanence, I think you get used to that sort of changing. And so I think you're more open to things as they come. Whereas in England, lest we forget, Ryan Bailey will remind us, the inventors of the game, I do think there is an idea that, like, we're the ones who invented this. This is our game first. Why are you all trying to change things? How dare you corrupt this? What, why would we change from this tradition? And I think there's just a little bit more frustration. There's a little bit more willingness to say this doesn't make sense. It was working fine the way we had it on its own. We didn't need to make this change. Uh, and, and so I do wonder if there is a cultural element as well mm. with the obvious caveat, the final caveat, that – I've seen plenty of MLS fans get mad when the ref goes to, to look at something on VAR. So I, I think Austin fans the other night were pretty annoyed when uh, the CONCACAF ref didn't end up giving them a penalty. I think there's plenty of frustration with how decisions get made, although that is CONCACAF Champions League, uh, a.k.a. Thunderdome, so you never know. I think that's a good point for, for the English culture, Taylor. It, it didn't need to change. It was fine the way it was. That's certainly the way I feel about Brexit, for example. So it carries over to other things. Um, but I, I think the exact same thing, VAR and Brexit. There you go. There you go. Uh, both disruptors. Um, one, one thing I think really stands is um, the point about MLS being more accepting of it because technology is used in the NFL and I mm -hmm. think there's just more acceptance of yeah. you know accuracy through technological means yeah i think so just because like i i think like with the nfl especially like with the way spots are decided like i feel like it's always within a it's like ah, yeah he's like within a yard is usually how they do it i think where his knee goes down versus where the ball is placed so i think there's also just a little bit more like yeah that seems about where he got tackled versus like no we got to go to the, the monitor every time yeah. and draw the line and make sure it's correct i think that also can kind of be disruptive in its own way well in another yeah. thing that i think people were really upset about when var was first instituted was how anticlimactic goals seemed. True. Right. So you true. score a goal, and then there's this big delay while you wait. Can I celebrate? Can I not celebrate? Then, then it's it's called a goal, and the celebration doesn't feel the same. Right. So un undeniably, VAR did take some of the joy out of those moments. The NFL did it did that a long time ago for touchdowns. Right. It's you're talking about where the ball is spotted. Like we'll go through and see 13 different angles for where the knee or the elbow is down and where the ball is. Did it cross the plane or not? You can take a shot every time you hear, did it cross the plane on, on Thanksgiving morning on NFL games? So, you know, we have these moments already that people that are, are at least sort of tied to American sports culture are already familiar with. And that, I think, made the transition for them. Just to emphasize the point that you, that you brought up initially, Taylor, I think it made it easier for a lot of American sports fans to adopt some of the, the things that folks over in other parts of the world did not enjoy so much about VAR. Yeah. 
That's fair. All I heard there, Joe, was uh, taking shots on Thanksgiving morning. Can I can I spend Thanksgiving with you next year? Sounds <laughs> if, great. If you'd like to. I've never actually done that before, <laughs> but uh, we can make it happen. Good you've stuff. never taken shots on Thanksgiving morning, or you've never taken shots in the morning, or both? No, I was talking about shots on Thanksgiving with the quote being, did it cross the plane? Is Those are the ah. criteria that I was trying to hit there. Yeah. <laughs> He's talking about drinking games in the a.m. on, yeah. on a holiday. <laughs> <laughs> which is, which is, I, I'm, I'm all on board for that. I've not done that. I have done. I mean, I've been on a bachelor party, Taylor. So I've done some drinking in odd hours. I've been to an airport before. So uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> have you had a toddler wake up at six a.m. on a Saturday? Because uh, you know, some, sometimes you got to handle it, Ryan. Sometimes you got to handle it. Indeed, indeed. I know all about that business <laughs> as well. Nick, thank you very much for that question. Let's go to alliterations. Richard Rolson, who says, I seem to remember a time when virtual advertising was introduced into soccer, where sponsor logos will be projected onto the pitch during the broadcast of a match. I can't find any reference to it, though. Did it happen? Asked Richards. And this is something that could be seen in the future, since commercials don't happen during a match. Could virtual projection advertising be a route that broadcasters use to recoup some advertising costs? Joe, if I'm not mistaken, Richard is referring to MLS's Yes, back, he is. Which we yes, maybe is. all of us have uh, <laughs> struck from our minds. That he, yeah. the, the heady days of 20 2020 in Orlando when we saw projections on the center circle yep. and we saw virtual advertising all around the field. I, I love Richard. I love the way that you phrase this question. Like, like it was a fever dream. All that stuff was a fever dream. I still can't <laughs> believe that that tournament happened in Orlando. It, it probably shouldn't have. And I also can't believe that they call the MLS is back. Um, so just so many, so many issues with that. One of the issues at the time that everyone you, really? had... Hold well, on, Joe. You can't. You can't believe that that's what MLS landed I, on. I if can. ever you needed a good You're representation right. Right. of decision making, being we're sitting in a group, we're coming up with the uh, the idea that appeals most averagely, like most mediumly to the group that is the least right. offensive. Right. That feels like the one. Like MLS is. I mean, we're back. I get MLS is back. Yeah, good Let's enough. Should we order a six hundred dollar lunch? We should order a six hundred dollar lunch. Oh, that's that's that nice. Yeah. The, the best bit about MLS is back is they subsequently use it to the start of other seasons. Seasons, to remind yeah. us of 2020. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, good times. Good times. Um, yeah, so Richard, I love the way that you phrase this because it, it was a fever dream and it's completely understandable that you that you don't remember this. But this is what I thought about. Maybe there are other examples in the past. The truth is you're not supposed to do this at all, right? I, I'm honestly not entirely clear about how MLS got away with this from FIFA. Maybe they figured FIFA have, have other things to worry about right now, so we're going to sneak this one under the radar. But the laws of the game, there's a section specifically that calls out commercial advertising, and the law reads... Quote, no form of commercial advertising, whether real or virtual, is permitted on the field of play, on the ground within the area enclosed by the goal nets or the technical area. And then it goes on for you know, a few more sentences. But that's pretty explicit that MLS wasn't supposed to do that. But uh, they did it anyway. And to be honest, given what we know about FIFA, I would not be <laughs> entirely surprised if we see what Richard's talking about, looking ahead to the future, actually happen, right? You don't have commercials in soccer. One way that teams have, have sort of tried to make up for that lack of revenue is by jersey sponsors. We've seen that already happen, and that's sort of crossing into other sports. Maybe we start to see, you know, the NBA now has has sorts of ads and, and stuff on, on their courts. Maybe we do start to see some of this either virtually imposed onto the field that can change based off of the region you're watching, or maybe it's just stuff that's painted on the field. I don't know what this is going to look like, but at the moment, it's, it's kind of a no-no. Maybe 10 years from now, it will be less of a no-no. 
that that's a good point about the virtual things changing for regions because they have that on the advertising hoardings yep. on the side of the field already, don't they? Where if you in depending on the territory you're watching in, it can show different advertising hoardings on the side Crazy. of the field, which ha- which is always fun when a player in a certain color jersey goes towards that <laughs> yep. advertising hoarding and disappears for a little while, which is a uh, fun in games. Taylor, what do you, what do you think about this? Are we going to have crypto.com blasted all over the field at some point in the near future? Do we not already? I feel like that's a thing that already exists. I mean, yeah. on the field, like in, in the center circle, in the penalty spot, like over a goalkeeper's face, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, oh, I see it to the extent of like when we get a penalty and the camera is behind the taker so you can see the taker and then the goalkeeper sort of bouncing back and forth. I could see them covering up the entirety of the goal with like different sponsors and then wherever he hits the ball, that's the select sponsor who you get 10% off if you shop them today. Oh, no, oh, I think this God. is absolutely going to happen. Oh, God, because- Taylor, that's a good commercial idea. I hate it. That's, I mean, that's the type, but that's the type of thing that Gianni Infantino is is plotting in his lair. I'm assuming while stroking a cat and looking evil. Uh, Yeah, I think anything that they can do to make more money out of the more competitions they're going to be doing, I think they will absolutely do. I do not love it because I think it's it is just like you said right there when you when you lose the player as they run in like past that advertisement advertisement. It just it's a reminder that there are things happening that aren't like the game itself. And I think like when you get the uh, in South America, when they will paint the advertisements so they look like there's an advertisement right beside the goal. And then the player runs over it to get a ball and you realize like, oh, no, they've just painted it to look three dimensional. It's just 2D like that. That is always very cool to me. But also it kind of breaks the fourth wall a little bit. And I think having more advertisers all over the place, it just sort of takes away from the the focus of the game and the. I don't know, sincerity of it. So I, I do not love that this is going to happen, but I do feel like it's absolutely going to happen sooner rather than later. Yeah, I think it is. I think it'll be subtle at first. There'll be a one or two advertisements on the field permitted, maybe at the start of an end of halves or something. And then, Joe, it's going to be like a Liga Romeki shirt. It's going to just be covered in sponsors for the whole game. That's exactly be- the the reference. I, I don't want to call it a joke because it was, I don't know. I don't know that we can we can get all the way into that category. That's exactly what I was going to say. I, I think it's going to be... I mean, soccer without commercials, Richard, Richard Smart, to point it out, there are limited opportunities to generate revenue with the thing that people watch for your sport. It's kind of a unique problem. Like, I, I, I don't know. People aren't going to stick around very much for pre and post stuff. They're coming to watch the game. They'll watch halftime, most likely, and then, and then they're done after the second half ends. So where else can you find revenue, title sponsors, all that stuff helps. But, I mean, yeah, this could be a way for FIFA and for individual leagues and teams and all that jazz to start generating some more cash. Here's what I think they should do instead. I think teams should just come up. This probably already exists. Instead of having like the logos written out and you have 75 of them uh, the way you get with, say, Liga Mekis, I think just if you are Chelsea, let's say, you just go to every company that has a blue logo. So American Express, Twitter, Skype, General Electric uh, could all work for this one. And then you just have them all make up different parts of the jersey. So it is just entirely logos, but you're still blue. So that way, at least you're keeping some of the consistency there. This is the way I think they should approach it. You get 400 sponsors on one shirt, all of them paying a little bit of money. I I think it's golden. I think I've solved this. That's good. Then you'll get like Norwich going, God, there's no companies with green and yellow (laughs) logos. What are we going to (laughs) do? Oh. Well, you know, we're Norwich going to get that many sponsors. I was going to say, I mean, that's, that's also what you get for making your colorway green and yellow. So I yeah. don't really have a lot of sympathy for that. 
And I've actually made the fatal error. Norwich's sponsor is Lotus Cars, whose logo is green and yellow, and they're hey. based in Norwich. So, uh, yeah, they, they found the only one. Uh, thank you very much, Richard, for that question and the slightly depressing future that it paints. Uh, Bob Loblaw, taking a break from his law blog, has been in touch. <laughs> how much quality... How much has the quality of MLS improved over the last decade? Would the 2012 LA Galaxy be a shield contender if you plot them into 2023... MLS. It's an interesting thought experiment, Joe, this one, isn't it? To think how much uh, the Galaxy have come on. You think about even back in like the Beckham Galaxy days where he was playing alongside players who were sleeping on the floor and delivering pizzas while playing alongside David Beckham. It does feel like we've moved on a long way from there, but how much has the quality moved on? I think the quality's moved on a, a lot. So the Galaxy, to, to dial specifically into blah, 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 I got that reference, uh, into the question, nice. the Galaxy finished eighth that season in terms of most points in the league. So they, they weren't even really shield contenders in that particular year. And I know I'm, I'm probably being a little bit too dialed into the details here, but they did win MLS cup, which is what they're remembered for. And, and as we all know, that's the most prestigious and most impressive trophy to win in major league soccer. They had a lot of talent, Donovan, Keen, Beckham, like they had the stars, they had the DPs. I, I think in today's MLS in the Apple era in Ventura 12 point, whatever, I think the stars would still be stars. Like I, I think if you, if you plop down 2012 David Beckham into this or you plop down 2012 Landon Don, like they're still going to be very good players. I think those players would still be game changers by and large in this year's, in this year's Major League Soccer. I, I do not think, though, that the other players in those teams would really be able to compete and provide the structure necessary for the stars to shine, which is really, I mean, it's, it's still MLS's structure today. We're just slowly seeing the floor rise up bit after bit as you know minimum salary numbers are increased as clubs are given a few more resources to play with I think we're seeing the floor you know shrink a little bit closer to the ceiling year after year which is not really something that was happening so much back a decade ago or at least not to this extent so I don't think the Galaxy would truly be a shield contenders I don't think their depth would hold out over the course of a long season I think they could still contend like like what's frustrating about MLS and what's also fun about it is it, it truly feels like as, as much irritation as I have towards Charlotte right now and, and confusion about what they're doing on the field, Charlotte FC, in, in this current season, like you, you plop them down against anybody in the league and they are absolutely still in the game. Like they're always going to have a chance. And that's fun about MLS well, and it's, it's frustrating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I know Ryan's down at the moment, but it's frustrating, but it is a fact of the league. So I think even if you bring a team back from a decade ago, they're still going to have a shot, but I think they're going to have less of a shot than even the bottom teams now, most likely. All right, Taylor, let's introduce some empirical data into this. How Boy. much would 2012 LA Galaxy beat Charlotte FC compared to 2023 LA Galaxy? What's the, what's the, uh, what's the difference? Uh, they, based on the way things are going, they might beat them more easily than 2023 <laughs> LA Galaxy, uh, if, if, if I am to understand how things are going for the Galaxy so far. I think I think Joe nailed it. I think it's it's depth, but I think top tier talent will still be top tier talent. And I do think David Beckham, Robbie Keane, Landon Donovan in there. I think they're going to be able to make a difference on Charlotte. That defense is a little bit more questionable. Yeah. I mean, it is Omar Gonzalez before he went like full Omar Gonzalez. So uh, I think he was the the like gold or the MVP of that MLS Cup. So uh, maybe maybe he would be able to do it. But I think it's going to be. I'm saying three to one, the same as that MLS Cup final. Uh, I think three to one, LA Galaxy over Charlotte. But by and large, I think that 
Galaxy team would probably struggle uh, in modern day MLS. I think they struggled in that day MLS. They were fourth in the West, I think, yeah. that season, yeah. right? So, yeah, I, I think I don't know if they would uh, if they would be in the long haul uh, for the supporter shield. Maybe they sneak into the playoffs in like eighth. Yeah, and and you you look at the players, even the top end guys. There just weren't as many elite top end players then as there are now, right? Just because there's more money in the league now. It makes sense that this is always going to be the natural evolution. But I I went back through and looked at the 2012 MLS Best 11, and it's difficult to sort of port our minds back 11 years ago because when we hear the name Matt Beasler, for example, who's on this list, or we hear the name uh, Chris Pontius, I think we have different views of them now than we probably would have 11 years ago. But this is uh, this is fun, right? A few others. Uh, Aurelian Collin, who I believe is now an assistant coach and, and really, I, I don't think, was ever like that good of an MLS player. Kansas I'm happy to be schooled on that. Um, then you had Thierry Henry, Robbie Keane, and Wando up top as the forwards. Graham Zussi, Landon Donovan, Ozzy Alonso. I mean, they're, they're good players on here. Like, very, very good players. And those players were, were better then than they are now earlier in their careers. But... I think you can even see going through that best 11 as silly as best 11s are because they're always wrong. I think you can see, you know, the stars are there. There were not as many stars a decade ago, and the floor of those teams was lower than they are now. Indeed. All right. That's why, I mean, I don't, I'm not laughing specifically at Chris Pontius because I really enjoyed Chris Pontius at DC United. But, but I, I take your point, Joe, that I think that's a great, great. Uh, specific example of the differences that there's no chance Chris Pontius, even playing at his best, is making that 2023 MLS Best 11 for political reasons. Probably they want to showcase other younger talent from other countries, but at the same time, I think also there is just more better talent across the board. So that's a great example of uh, how things have shifted. But Ryan, if you need some solace, not in relation to this question, John Deere, Tropicana, Lotus, Animal Planet, Subway, Sesame Street, uh, oh, Sesame Street, nice. Sprite, and BP. Oh. All green and yellow logos. That's great. So that's what you've been doing the last 10 minutes. Thank you, Taylor. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bob Loblo. Thank you very much for that he question. Lob the bomb. <laughs> and he does not habla espanol. Blah, blah, blah. No espanol. No habla espanol. Let's take a quick break, shall we? When we come back, a couple more questions back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Couple more listener questions coming your way, starting with this one. Kevin Tolley says, I just read an article by Doyle, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, I assume that mm-hmm. is, and he said that the union play a Red Bull-esque style that's well known to break statistical models. I assume this is true since it's Doyle who wrote it, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, but why does the Red Bull style break statistical models? Taylor, why are they mm-hmm. hashtag breaking the models? Do you want to see me steal Joe's entire answer? Should I just go to Joe? 
Oh no, I can just I can I can just steal it because I know that Joe and I both went to the exact same place for this one. We both went to Matt Doyle and asked him what he meant by this, uh, and it's it's an interesting one, J- Joe. Tell me if you disagree because it sure. sounds like Doyle in this course of this conversation has basically been like, ah, maybe they have caught up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that that's what I got as well. I don't know if you want to pull the thread a little bit more. If you want me to pull the thread, I think you should start, and maybe I'll fill in after. Yeah, so it, it's basically the idea that because I will give you very much the layman's uh, like gist, and then Joe can fill in the uh, the pertinent details. But it's essentially that because of the style that Red Bull play, where it's very uh, focused on pressing, high intensity, winning the ball up further up the pitch, less emphasis on possession and ball retention, which is I think a lot of the way statistics reflect dominance and control of a match. It means that sometimes those stats aren't really giving you a full picture of what Red Bull teams are doing or how they're playing or the success they're having. And so for the longest time, I think statistics that were focused more on ball retention, possession, control mm. of the game did not do a good job of explaining uh, Red Bull teams. But it sounds like with more advanced statistics, they are starting to be able to catch up and better yeah. sort of indicate the success of that approach. Yeah, Taylor, I think that's 100% correct. I mean, we're in a weird spot right now in the age of soccer analytics. We've kind of gotten a rough handle on things like XG and expected assists, right? We've also gotten a pretty good handle on more outdated metrics, not fully outdated, but things like possession that I think everybody realizes you know, is only important to the extent in which you use it well, right? Pass completion percentage doesn't really tell you very much. If I can pass the ball three feet to my left to Taylor a hundred times in a game, I'm going to look great on the basic counting stat sheet on FOTMOB, but uh, I, I did nothing for the team, like absolutely nothing. So I think we've sort of moved past some of those things. Now, people out there that are way smarter than me are trying to develop things that actually tell us like, okay, I passed the ball three feet to my left to Taylor, what did that do to our team's chances of scoring? What did it do to our team's chances of conceding? That's a, not the best example because the answer is probably did very, very little. But if I hit a line-breaking pass to Taylor running in behind on the, on the right wing, like that's a valuable thing, right? But how valuable is it, right? How valuable is that thing? Or I hit a long ball as a center back up to the general area where Taylor is because I play for the Philadelphia Union and I want him to fight for the 50-50 ball, and we care about field position more than we care about ball retention. You talked a bit about that, Taylor. How, how do the models capture that? Right? How do things, a lot of them are called possession value models, which makes it sound like they value possessions, but I think they're actually developing ones, the data scientists and the smart analytics people. They're developing ones that really aren't trying to value possession so much, but they're trying to value you know, who has the ball, where they have it, where the ball is on the field, like, if you're a Red Bull team, and, and the Union really are a Red Bull team, they're influenced heavily by that high-pressing, aggressive, direct style of soccer, you know, you care about getting the ball upfield quickly, right? You care about trying to win the ball back and press in the final third, because then your distance to goal, frankly, is, is just shorter, right? So all these things have value. You can try to pep your way through the opposing block and arrive in the final third, or you can go route one, you can win the ball, fight for the 50-50. At the end of the day, as long as you win the ball back in those 50-50s, you create enough of them, as I just hit my pot filter, you create enough of them that you win the ball you know, as much high up in the field in that spot as the pep team. Like, really, you're accomplishing the same goal. So ultimately, a lot of models, and this is, Doyle and I chatted about this a little bit because I did ask him, I don't, I don't really understand what you mean by this. You know, basically, it seems like models are getting smarter to be able to accommodate this kind of team. I went back through and looked. Goals added is one of those possession value models. I know I'm losing people, so I'm going to be quick. Possession uh, Goals added is one of those models that American Soccer Analysis developed, I think, back in 2020. And it's really good. It's really good at a lot of things. And you can go through and look at, basically, your, your goals added differential. Think of it as like another 
measure of quality like goal differential, which is used as a tiebreaker for, for stuff. You can go through and look at the best teams based off of goals added differential, how much better you were than the other team that you played over the course of a season. And in the top 25 teams in their database, which ranges back to 2013, you had three Red Bull teams. You really had two Red Bull teams and one Philly Union team. The 2018 Red Bulls who won the Shield were ninth on that list. The 2015 Red Bulls were 15th on that list. And the 2022 Union, who broke a bunch of records last year, were 17th. To me, I know that's kind of anecdotal. That feels like adequate representation in the top 25 teams over you know 10 years. So I think the models are getting better. It seems like Doyle kind of was on that same page. Taylor seems like you know we're kind of all in agreement. I, I'm not an expert on this stuff. I, I hope I know enough to be sort of literate. The, um, that is terrifying to me that you don't think you're an expert on this stuff because I don't know what an expert looks like and I don't know what that makes me. Yeah, it's, I mean, there, man, there are levels to this thing. Like, there, I know there's so much out there that I don't know, but hopefully that helps answer. I, I think, Kevin, the answer might just be that maybe it's a little bit outdated, that assumption, but mm-hmm. let's ask a data scientist. Taylor, are you a data scientist? Uh, I am not, but I do find it very fascinating whenever Joe talks about it, because I think Joe uh, tends to do a very good job of explaining it uh, fairly simplistically so that my simple mind can understand what he's saying. And I think that is the thing that is sort of lacking broadly in the way we talk about this data, the way we talk about this information and the terminology. I think it requires broadcasters to do more homework and to do more work, and I think sometimes they don't want to do that, but... Once it becomes part of the lexicon, it's part of the lexicon, and it's easier to understand. It's easier to like apply it in-game to better understand what's happening, and I think it's just one of those things that hasn't fully gotten traction, and it probably won't until broadcasters utilize it more and more yeah. often, and I would say utilize it correctly at that and in a way that sort of furthers the understanding of the game as opposed to like, oh, their XG was this, and they haven't scored that many, so... They're playing bad. Like, I, th- I think that probably isn't the level of analysis we're looking for, even if that's sometimes what I bring to the table when it comes to XG. No, we just we just need a few fewer Ian Dark Twitter threads on XG. I think that would help us advance a few a few steps beyond where we are. What did, um, wait, what did Ian Dark do? Ian Dark is just always out there on Twitter, Taylor. That's that's all, He's just always doing his thing. Um, is he pro or con XG? Uh, I I think you know the answer already, but he is con. Yes, um, which, which I know, is just I actually, like a, I really don't. I really okay. don't because Ian Dark. I never know what to make of Ian Dark, so I wasn't sure if that was a like if he's on there just ranting about how it doesn't no. make sense or something. No, I mean I do think it's like the broadcasters in that side of the sport is really where you know a lot of advancement comes from in terms of how we mm-hmm. discuss stuff. So I think you're you're totally right about that, Taylor. That would improve things a lot in terms of these things being able to be helpful tools. Like, like that's the point of all this stuff, right? Is that it helps us to understand the game better in, in all these models are imperfect, right? All of these are, are flawed, but hopefully they're getting better to the point where, you know, we get a little bit more insight into the game that you can pair with your brain and your eyes. It should, these things should work together. They're both tools and how we understand this thing. But yeah, hopefully Kevin, that at least somewhat answers your question. Um, and the models get smarter to the point where we're all soccer geniuses by 2024. Let's hope so. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, we do hope you're satiated by that. Thank you, Matt Doyle, for your input to that question as well. One final question today from Jonathan Gideon. If and when Wrexham gets promoted and their transfer rules are less strict, which American players could you see them going after? Young prospects or a veteran like Josie Altador? Mm. Now, Taylor, I will... Uh, Give it an update, a Wrexham update. Just before we recorded, it was announced by Ryan Reynolds that he has sold his yeah. company, Mint Mobile. Uh, the reported figure he has sold it for, $1.35 billion to T-Mobile. So um, 
he might the Wrexham might have a bigger transfer budget if there is some trickle down economics happening there. So that's we'll exciting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's going to be interesting in season two when we hear them like sort of like falling over themselves with like, oh no, we have to spend a hundred thousand dollars on this, and it's just like I think Ryan can probably cover that one. Uh, I understand where the question is coming from, and I think there's. I, I get basically what Jonathan is getting at, but I think my answer is I don't think they will prioritize Americans, even if it doesn't answer the question. I think the truth is, number one, that doesn't seem like a thing that they entirely care about. Uh, I, like, I don't remember Rob McElhinney or Ryan Reynolds tweeting about the World Cup, like really getting into the U.S. It doesn't seem like that's sort of their entry point to this. It feels much more like their entry point was we want to be involved in club soccer. And I think for Ryan Reynolds, it was a team that sort of evokes Philadelphia, which is why they went for like industrial Wrexham. Um, And so I think for them, it's more about just sort of developing the team and making them successful than it is like also getting Americans in there. So that's one part of it. The second part is just that there aren't many foreign players playing in League Two if they get promoted uh, into League Two. Uh, The numbers I had from FB Ref, there are around 745 total players in League Two, 483, excuse me, League One, that's League One, not even League Two, 745 total players, 483 from England, that's about 65% of all players in League One are English, and then if you expand that to England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland, that number becomes 87%. Uh, And then I think the next highest after those would be there are eight Jamaicans in there, and I'm assuming there's some dual nationality going on. So I think with when it comes to League Two, League One, you're much more domestic-based. It's much more about bringing in more local players, cheaper players at a lower level. And so I think if they were going to go with an American who has a little bit of the lower league pedigree, if that's the word to use, or maybe just a lower league veteran, maybe somebody like Lyndon Gooch would be the answer there. I don't know if that would appeal to him, but maybe that's one. Or sort of dual nationals who are under the radar, came through academies, have an American dad, uh, and maybe that could be one as well. But that would be more sort of accidental than by intention. I think the most likely American for them to buy is if AFC Wimbledon get one and they just buy him so we get relegated and they have success. I mean, they've got form for that. I'm bringing in my own personal gripes into <laughs> wait, this question. Wait, wait, no, wait. I don't, know, I don't know the story there. Who did they buy that it's made you mad? It's the striker, right? Ollie, Ollie Palmer? Is that who it is? Ollie, What's the guy's Ollie name? Palmer was yeah. bought by Wrexham. Uh, we subsequently went down because we couldn't score goals anymore. And they offered him like four times as much money. It's all fun and games at this level. Definitely. It's really fun being a Wimbledon fan, huh? It has its moments. <laughs> Are they few and far between? Yeah, when, when was the last moment, Ryan? I don't. Yeah, know. right. Oh, I had a good pie a couple of weeks ago, Joe. Good. That was uh, good. Well that said. Graham's smiling it. right now. Graham is. Oh smiling. man, Graham, we that is Graham Ruthven's influence rubbing off right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Wimbledon's uh, oeuvre at the moment is uh, taking the lead and not winning, as happened last night, as we record, as has happened in the last six games. Woo! That's uh, not what this question about is is about, though, Joe. Uh, what do you think about American players coming in? Now, I get Taylor's point there, the first part of his point, but also this is a Rexman team who are coming to. North Carolina this summer to play in a tournament. This is a team who are establishing a U.S. fan base. So it's not out of this question that they want to maybe add an American player or two. I don't think it's out of the question. I I think for me, it has to be a celebrity or or a a personality. Because if you're asking me if I think we should send a young American prospect who's developing to League Two, the answer is no. Like, no, I do not. I actually can't think of a worse place for them to go than to go to League Two in the English Pyramid. So... I would I would never, ever wish that on a young American player trying to grow and, and develop. I, I don't think that would go well. So I, I want a personality. 
I want to get Josie Altador over there because I do think he would be a good character. I like that shout from Jonathan. I want to get Breck Shea. Like, let's get somebody truly wild to let people know what American soccer is all about. Like, let's get Breck over there. Tell him to pull out his wildest gear, his wildest everything, his most Breck Shea of, of everything possible that he could imagine. And we'll get him on TV. Like, I want to get a TV personality. I think it's a few years too early to really be trying to move players that we we actually like want to develop and grow and, and become maybe able to contribute to the national team. It's We're a little bit too early on in this cycle. I think having some American influence could be interesting from the angle of the show. Uh, but in the meantime, I think we try to stick with somebody who's already kind of had most of their career, and we just treat Wrexham like how European stars used to treat MLS. Uh, on that note, Joe, I think I found the solution. Uh, we bring Jimmy Comrade out of retirement. Yes. Yeah. Very nice guy. It's a great would, answer. Would fit in big personality. He's the guy to uh, lead Wrexham forward into the EFL system. What do you I think? I love that. Uh, that's that's better than any of my suggestions and better to me than than almost any other route we could take here. It there is. Yeah. I, I, he is actually one that, that like I, I landed on briefly, Ryan. I'm glad you brought him up because – to Joe's point, I think, or to both of your points, I guess, if you want to go American, it has to be a little bit more of that celebrity, as Joe said, because you want to pull in more of that audience. I don't know who that is currently or, or who it is in the past couple of years that would maybe be willing to go to League Two and play for Wrexham and get a little bit more like star power behind them. It does feel like players that are, are sort of permanently retired or more per- permanently retired like I like Clint Dempsey is another one where if they threw a ton of money at him does he come back for like five games but then that's kind of gimmicky Jimmy Conrad might be the same I don't know who the player is that could still play but would also be engaging for a U.S. audience maybe it is Breck Shea now that Joe's throwing that one out yeah and to be fair Jimmy's in his mid-40s so it might not work out entirely but uh I'd like to think it would like like if Alejandro Bedoya were a more household name, like that—that's one that, like, maybe he could go over there. He's near the end of of his career, or nearing the end of his career, so maybe he goes over there and kind of runs around League Two and shows him how to do it. Uh, but even there, I don't know if that's going to sort of like t- turn the heads the way a more notable name in U.S. soccer would be. Once again, the failure to go to 2018 really comes back to bite us because maybe there would be a player that was in that squad that would now be ready to go play in League Two. Indeed. Maybe let's not turn Wrexham into hashtag United just yet. We'll keep them uh, their recruitment policies as are for, uh, as they are for now. But uh, that Mint Mobile money's coming, Tay-Tay. The Mint Mobile money's coming. It's got to be spent on something. I can't That's wait for Ryan, Ryan, or Rob McElhinney to have to pretend like he's okay with the wealth disparity because that mm. was already a thing in season one where he sort of makes a few too many jokes about how much more money Ryan Reynolds has and how much bigger of a star he is than Rob McElhinney. Yeah. I think $1.5 coming in to Ryan Reynolds' bank account will probably Probably uh, not help change that. There's going to be an awkward conversation where Reynolds is like, "Here's what I'm going to bring to the budget this year. Can can you match it? <laughs> uh... I can get Danny DeVito to do marketing. Where does that help us? Does that help us? Does that put us in? Let's get Danny DeVito managing Wrexham. That can he feels play like on the wing? Movie. Can he play on the wing? Danny DeVito. That might be our answer. We'll see. Uh, but I think Danny DeVito. I love Danny DeVito. He is more likely to be the ball than he is a player. <laughs> I'd watch that. Uh, Jonathan, thank you very much for that question. Thank you very much for all our questions today. Once again, totalsoccershow.com slash questions if you'd like to tax us in this manner. But for now, Taylor Rockwell, thank you so much. Wonderful performance from you, even if you are mean about Noel Gallagher. I, I was going to say thank you, my friend. Thank you for your lovely Oasis shirt. I was I was admiring it. It is a nice one. And the uh, what, what kind of is it a sweater? Is it a jacket? What, what are you rocking there? Because you rock that and it looks nice. Thank you. I call it a cardigan. Oh, I think okay. is what we classify this as, but you're very kind. Does um, it have buttons? 
It has lovely bu- bu- buttons. Ah, it's quite there they are. Yeah, there they are. I could not see the buttons, which would make it a cardigan. Wonderful! All, all this uh, all, uh, visual stimulus that it's we're good. talking about mm. on this audio um, medium is wonderful for listener. Joe, Joe is Lowry. shirtless, by the way. Uh, yeah. since, since no one can see this, Joe is shirtless and also uh, full mohawk. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Joe, thank you very much. Don't do your next podcast in the shower while we have to watch, though. Thank you very much. <sighs> fine, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Fine. Oh, it is a soap. Mo- it is a soap mohawk. Now that you say it, I yep. look closer and I see yep. it. Yeah. A soap mohawk. Oh, <laughs> listener, thank you very much for joining us on this one. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. Big thing coming to you very shortly. Oh, on Friday actually. It's Wednesday today. Ignore me, <laughs> listener. We'll be back soon. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>